0: Abba Yahweh, your grace, mercy, forgiveness, love, everything that Jesus brought here that you show all day, every day. Father God, thank you so much for allowing me to be a conduit, continue to be a conduit for your truth, knowledge, and wisdom and sharing for anyone that would have an ear to listen, Father. For brothers and sisters out there, for you to learn, admonish, if need be, edify, uplift, exhort all those things that God intended through his spirit, through the word. And for those of you that have not decided that you would be hungry and seek and come and say, Jesus, change my life, come into my life. Very easy to do. I've shared that with you. Abba Yahweh, thank you so much. Abba Yahweh, Yeshua, Barakalikos, Sama. It is so, I'm so blessed in being able to do this. And God allowing this to take place through the Holy Spirit and guiding me. And let's start off something very real and very true because I know that there are those of you out there that will say these sort of things and I've heard it so don't tell me that that's not true or try to say talking to yourself there because you're not speaking directly to me but a lot of times people say things out loud that they're thinking and they either don't realize it they do realize it and they don't care. But here's the facts. There are those out there that will... Try to naysay or belittle what a pastor, an elder, or who's ever sharing the word, who's been designated for that purpose, and they negate that because they say, oh, it's easy for them to say, easy for them to say as if they're as if they're uh, vaunting them higher than the individual should be. I don't do that to myself, I, and I'm certain that there are those that will. But understand this and know this is a truth, that the pastors and elders and those of us out here that are speaking and trying to share are just doing the Father's will and being about our Father's business. That doesn't mean that we are not susceptible to treacheries of the minion that work for Satan and the manipulation of mammon and men that and women that will backbite and backstab and do the things that they shouldn't do. I've shared with you already the wonderful pastor, but those that were in quote-unquote authority within the board of the church or whatever they were calling themselves. And they were exhibiting control because he was actually admonishing them, but they had put themselves in such a a position of uh, self-proclaimed authority that they really didn't have, but they took it. And because they were all in agreement that they didn't like to be chastised and admonished, that they basically gave him the boot and got some other mealy mouth pastor to come in and teach that didn't speak from the word and was an anecdotal individual. And that is one of the places that the Holy Spirit took me right out of, just took me right away and says, you do not belong here. And that's unfortunate because when uh, when Britt was teaching, <laughs> I stayed, I listened, he taught, was very... He was different. Let's just put it that way. He was. uh, I would. I would put him more like uh, John the Baptist. You know, John the Baptist ran around in animal skins and ate locusts and other things of the wild, and he didn't fit in. He didn't fit with society. So, and there are those individuals that will do that, but that does not mean that any of these pastors, anybody that is teaching from the word righteousness, being bold, upright, and courageous in the word of God, that they don't and are not susceptible to the treacheries, the temptations, and the things that take place. Because here's the thing. You have to understand, and I've shared this with you numerous times, and I'll keep on doing it because if it's repeated, it bears remembering. Remember I shared that with my teachers would do that. If you hear me say it more than once, then you better write it down because it's liable to be on a test. Well, here's the thing. The test is your walk through life. It's important to know that the closer your walk with God, the harder the enemy is going to try to get you knocked off that path. That's the way it is, except here's the greatest thing. The greatest thing is that God promises to be with us always. Jesus told the disciples, and remember this, take this to heart because it's true, and the Holy Spirit has guided me through these words and says it's true. When Jesus was talking to the 12 in the Bible, And he was telling them that they have authorities and that he's going to be with them to the end of the age. And and speaking to them directly there, he was speaking to me. I'm his disciple. And if you are a true Christian and not a self-proclaimed Christian, not a SpongeBob Christian, not a secular Christian, but a true Bible-believing, faith-seeking Jesus follower, and you're doing his will, which is sharing the gospel any way you can, any time you can. If you're doing those things and you're about the Father's business and you too are a disciple and Jesus talking to them, then he's talking, he was talking to us. It's here, it's written down. The admonishments that he gave to the disciples, he's tried to instill that in the word there. But every time that he's speaking, with the walk with him, follow the word and the readings As if you're right there. And it's because you should be. You should be. When he talks to them and he calls them the disciples and whenever the Bible says, and Jesus spoke to the disciples. There's a few times when he speaks directly to the 12 and the scripture says the 12, the 12, the 12. But when he says, when the Bible says things like, and Jesus spoke to the disciples. He's talking to us, talking to all of us who are in the word and doing our father's business because that's what we're called to do. And the enemy doesn't like that. The enemy's going to make it as difficult as possible. But God's promised to be with us. And I forget this sometimes the, the bullet prayers that I shared, which are really good, and sometimes the... the uh, Sometimes I slip and I forget, and I err. As soon as I do, it's, it's, it's not a good thing. But what is good is that in my sinking, the Lord reaches down and pulls me up, just like he did with Peter. When Peter became frightened of the waves. Pardon me. When Peter went out walking on the water with Jesus, he says, Lord, if that's you, bid me come so he went out there and he went walking and he was walking on the water. And then the waves were kind of big and the wind was billowing and all. Just like when they were in the boat and they went out on Galilee and the winds came up and Jesus were lying down sleeping. He was with them. What were they having to fear? Nothing. But they did. They became fearful and they came back and they woke Jesus up from a nap. He was very tired from doing all that he was doing. And remember that I've shared this with you, when he goes out and he's healing and touching folks, on he has a certain amount of virtue that, that leaves him because he was, he was in the form of a man. So he gets tired. He was a man. So he was resting and they woke him up. Oh, Jesus, we're so afraid. The winds are so mighty and, and loud and the thunder and the lightning and... Jesus just looked at him and took a heavy sigh and he said, oh, ye little faith. Turned around, looked over the side of the boat and says, peace be still, boom. Storm stopped, wind stopped, wave stopped and the sea was calm. And then these silly disciples were, oh, what manner of man is this that commands the sea and it obeys? Hello, were you not listening and following Jesus the whole time? Were you not listening? Were you one of those doodlers? Your teacher was telling you and explaining. You saw what he was doing. And then you're going to question when he gets up. And you're so afraid. And he makes it right. Hmm. We tend to do that very same thing. But my point being this. Is there's not a reason to be afraid of anything. And the Lord is with us all the time. And he tells us he will be. And he is. And we have to listen to him continue. I love my, these readings. They're so in line and so in tune, and the Lord is showing me that this is a good thing. But we will do things at the seemingly at a spur of a moment because we, mm, instead of praying through it or coming and turning to the Lord and asking Him for help through His Spirit, we tend to walk into um, compulsive situations and a compulsive answer is required or we give an answer impulsively. I've done that same thing, not praying out the bullet prayer and not seeking the Lord's guidance in it and saying, Lord, is it okay to do this or should I do this? And, and um, you make a compulsive decision and the thing of it is that the Lord made us of a free will choice, and He gave us the ability to pre-plan things. But the problem with that is that we make the problem into uh, is a compulsive planning and the actions that we take because of that, instead of the guidance of the Lord, and we pre-plan so many things. It just Piles up and piles up and piles up. And there's no good solid foundation. Have you ever been playing in the sand on the beach? And you take the wet sand. And it makes very cool designs when you squeeze it out. It, I, I used to do this when I was a kid. I was fascinated by something I had discovered on the beach and started doing it. But the problem is that you get so tall and I couldn't figure out what it is now, and the Holy Spirit is speaking to me as I speak through this. Is that it gets so tall and then it just topples over? Why is that? Judicious pause, however, I'm going to tell you. Because there's no foundation. There's no good established foundation. You're just going up and up and up and up and up. Oh my gosh. And if you're not paying attention to how that analogy works into it, if you don't have a foundation, the good, solid foundation, just like the the song and just like the scripture says, if you don't build your house on a good foundation, it's going to fall into sinking sand. It's going to fall by the wayside. If you have a good, solid foundation, then it will stand. And it will withstand the floods, floods and the storms. But the foundation is the key. The foundation is the key. What is that foundation? That foundation is a solid rock. That solid rock on which I stand. He will not let go. He holds my hand. He, my Lord, Is true. He, my Lord, is faithful, gracious. And the white noise interference that comes from the minions, the many minions that are in this plane of existence with us, they're being manipulated. Their validation does not matter. The white noise interference that they choose to hear from and that even within the body of the church, when you have those that are going to try to tell you how to worship and how you should worship, and they're going to tell you, oh, you need to check in and do this and do this. They have no idea that you've already done so. They're just telling you because it appears to them in their perspective that you're doing something that they're not doing. And so in their perception, you must be doing something wrong. No, they are. Because they're trying to make their validation what matters to you. They're making their problem your problem. And what you do is you just don't confront. You just walk away. Walk away. You can walk away in a partial agreement or just to keep the situation down. Jesus many times just nodded his head and walked away. He didn't confront people. Jesus was not confrontational, but he was strong and he had authority. I stand on my authority and I'm not going to let anyone tell me how or how my worship comes out to the Lord. There is no one in this plane of existence that we are in that needs to validate my worship to God. And if they're going to tell me that I can't speak in the heavenly language and I can't speak to God, I'm not doing it outwardly to the entire congregation to cause confusion because the Bible tells us specifically not to do that because it will cause confusion. There's going to be an interpretation. And when the message is intended for the entire congregation, it will be made so and manifested by the Holy Spirit and not by one of these. Mammon speaking validators who have no authority to do that. So if you're not causing confusion within the congregation and you're worshiping God and you're doing so in a heavenly language, do not be detracted and these individuals do not have authority to tell you to stop doing that. They will be, they will be admonished by God. It's not for you to reproach them or to judge them. You pray for them. Evidently and they may have an issue with speaking in tongues. Maybe they have a fear of speaking in tongues. There are individuals like that. They fear it because they're not sure of it. They're unsure of it. They don't not quite sure what it is. And here's a quick lesson in the speaking in tongues. It is a heavenly language. It's like a you have no party line. It's a direct connection to heaven. The switchboard operator in heaven plugs that straight into the Lord. Lord hears all our prayers, but that, I mean, that is about as direct line as you can possibly get it. And all prayers are good. They're all good. They're all wonderful. And the Lord loves our prayers. Remember, he saves them in little golden vials because it's a sweet savor to his nostrils. Savoring being a a smell like incense. He loves it. And that's described that way in the book of Revelation. A vision is given to John. But here's the thing. Satan lived in heaven. The angels that were kicked out with him and fell from grace with him because they decided to follow him instead of what they should have been doing. They were convinced and they went with him. They no longer have the ability to understand the heavenly language they were doing it all the time, and I mean, it was there, and it's their communication. But don't forget this either, that they're aware of the Word of God. This is one of the things that Satan is able to do. He's able to manipulate, to camouflage, and make things appear to be something other than they are. And he can make you think, well, he can't make you think, but he causes you to think that possibly something is different than what it actually is. And remember this too, that his other pseudonym is fear. He is called fear. He's called fear for a reason. That's a a pseudonym of devil. He's not only called Lucifer, he's not only called Satan, he's not called the devil, uh, Beelzebub, but he's called fear, he's called the liar. He's got many names that are all the character of his. A interesting thing in the scriptures that all the names that are given to God are his character. God doesn't love us because it's the right thing to do because he's our good father and all the righteousness and grace and all the things that he does, he doesn't just, do that's his character. God is good. God is love. God is truthful. God is gracious. God is merciful. God is consistent. God promises and he's true. Everything about God, and then you go over to Satan, and you have all those things. They are verbal acknowledgment of his character. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. He's a destroyer. He's a condemner. Lucifer is an angel of light, and he can do that. He manipulates all these things, and he can camouflage. And he'll camouflage within the word that comes from him. And you can test it. Try the Spirit. Remember, try the Spirit. The Holy Spirit will respond and he will answer. And he does. And he promises to do so. And he will. And just remember that God is always good with us. And here's the thing. And all that white noise interference that's coming out from Satan and from his minions and from all those. In the, and there are those that are walking in this plane of existence that are being manipulated by the devil. And they are his minions. They are real. They are true. And they are here. And they are doing that very thing. They cause all this stirring. There's many that get into these organizations out there that are crying all this stuff up here, but the truth is being hidden in subterfuge by those individuals that are out there screaming all this. Actually, it's just political nonsense, honestly. And it's not truth. They're lies because you can take and dissect and pull it all apart if you seek the truth and you're not seeking to be offended and you don't follow what they're saying just blindly. A cheetah is not a leopard. Two different species, specifically different. Their physiology biological makeup is different. And simply because one calls the other by the same name and then convinces others around that, oh, that's true. A cheetah must be a leopard. They're the same. No, they're not. Seek the truth, seek the knowledge, seek the wisdom. Just like all these foolish people out there. Follow the science, follow the science, follow. Except the problem is that if you actually went in and you researched and you did follow the science, instead of just the hearsay science that these naysayers are all putting out there, there'd be nothing to be fearful of you would know the truth because the truth was revealed. However, there are many that prefer to take the lackadaisical walk. They don't do that, they just listen to hearsay. I've shared these analogies with you. It's like the poor pit bull, because of hearsay from everyone else, they were never bred to be fighting dogs. Historically, they were bred to be a nanny dog. That's historical fact, that's documented fact. Not bred for fighting. However, the poor dog has a stigma and there are places it's still. They get separated. If they're put into a shelter, they get put in the back and they're the first on the list for euthanization. There are still places that will not have them allowed if, if for their renters because they're a bully breed. Negative stigma that's attached by hearsay, evidence and lack of knowledge. Ignorance. Remember this too, ignorance is not stupidity. It just means a lack of information or a lack of truth. So when I say something like those individuals that are out there running around with this hearsay or they're not listening to the word of God and they're listening to those that are talking, all that nonsense out there, they're ignorant. They are. Not stupid, they're just ignorant. They don't have the knowledge. Where does that knowledge come from? (coughs) Pardon me. The knowledge comes from the truth. And where do you find the truth? In the word of God. God is truth. God is knowledge. He is wisdom. He imparts that to me. And he shares that with me because I asked him to. I want to be able to speak knowledgeably and truthfully about the word of God. And I want to be a good disciple. So he shares it with me. That's awesome. Thank you, Father. I love that. But here's the thing. Minds become so preoccupied by Pre planning, and people's lists get so full, and then when it gets close to the deadline, they don't have time to finish everything, and then they get all exasperated. Oh man, I'm not gonna. Oh, oh, oh what do I get gonna... ah! And then the internal mind explosion takes place. Their mind becomes many small mushroom clouds until the great big one, and then they get a headache. They have to take an ibuprofen or something to lay down and rest for two or three days because they've allowed their minds to get to that point. So, in this reading, it says that the the mind preoccupied with planning pays homage to the idol of control. We are not in control. And I have to remind myself pretty much constantly about this because I can't control what the other people are doing when they're driving around. So, What's the point in laying on? I mean, if it's an imminent danger, I mean, you want to you want to tap the horn because it's giving the warning and allowing them to say it. But if they're a distance away and they do something out, and then and there's so many that I run into, in t- my goodness gracious, this state is a horn happy state. You can be five six car lengths away, and because they're in a position, they're on the phone, and they start gassing it. And then they're laying on the horn the whole time when they come zooming up eight, 10 car lengths back, and then they come up and zoom by and then cut over really fast. And then they want to start playing the road games. Their minds are preoccupied, not where they should have been, because they're on that doggone telephone, that thing, that separator. And I told you, the Prince of the Air controls a lot of this. I'm telling you the truth. Who's the Prince of the Air? That's the devil. If you pay attention to what goes on around and you see these things that go on, you see that people that are involved in these things are separate. There's no interpersonal relationship with anything. I see it with other employees. My goodness gracious, the most important thing to them. And the first thing they do when they pull into some place where they have some time, that cell phone comes out. Oh my gosh, and they're in that. They're not paying attention. Anyone that comes up that may be asking a question and they, I've seen them where they just wave, wave them by. You have no interpersonal relationship. They're so in contact with this thing. And I get customers that start doing that. And I'm trying to converse with them. So what I do is I just put my hand over the equipment. And then they look up and they pull the earbud out like they're all upset. And I said, excuse me, I'm trying to communicate and help you. But it's hard to do when you have those in and you're paying no attention. So. And then when they, you know, they're acting all perturbed, but then they find out that what I was saying was reasonable because what they were doing was incorrect. But they weren't willing to have any connection. They were losing their interpersonal relationship because they were so caught up in this. And this is what we tend to do with our minds. We tend to want to have ourselves in control. There is none. Even when, oh, that person's got great self-control. No, it's not self-control. It's health control, but here's the thing that God wants to do. Turn from the idolatry of being in control and having to be in control of everything, because we don't. What we need to do is pay attention and keep those bullet prayers going out. <coughs> Pardon me. Sorry about that. But we have scriptures that help us in that thing, and and it takes some practice. Okay, remember this thing here, is that Paul always talks about practicing things, and it does. It takes practice for any great musician. Require you what you think Yo Yo, just became how he is without practicing, and even so, he practices when he's getting ready to play this great orchestra gathering and, or this uh, event and he's going to have someone else with him that's either going to sing with him, they're going to sing in a ride, he's going to accompany or something of that nature or a piano player and they have never played it. They're going to practice through it a few times so that they make sure that they get it right so that the pauses are together and they sound like they're playing as one and not haphazardly. And he's learned that through his practicing and his studies of music and his compositions that he's done, he has learned the point that you need to practice it. Things need to be practiced, rehearsed, and make sure that it's done right. All things require that. We need to practice. We need to pray. We need to seek. We need to read. We need to study to show ourselves approved. We need to be in the word, we need to do that constantly and not be in control. And David writes a lot of these, and he and he knows this. I mean, here's a here's a great example of that person of a person like that. David was chosen as a young man. He was not even yet a reached adulthood, and he slew a giant. With the strength of the Lord that was with him and standing by him, he slew the giant who no one would go out and face no one would go and face and part of that I believe in reading and it was it was saul's fault he was afraid, Saul was afraid, so he instilled that fear into uh, he wouldn't let certain words that, that say, "I'll go fight, no, 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 you can't go, you can't go," and his son. Jonathan wanted to go, but he wouldn't let his son go. Jonathan was a good warrior. So here comes David, not yet in his adult age. Couldn't quite say that he was in puberty, but he hadn't left that stage of his growth yet. He hadn't reached full adulthood. He was still, he was a late teen. He said, I'll go. I'll go fight him. And Saul, of course, scoffed and, you're just a shepherd. Ah, excuse me. Jesus was a shepherd. Jesus is our shepherd. David was good at what he was doing. David was great at what he was doing. And David was called by God. So, Saul said, okay, we'll make you the human sacrifice. You'll go out and you'll But put this on, take my shield, take it. It was all oversized, it was made for me. It wouldn't even fit David. It was oversized, it was cumbersome, it was heavy. So David sloughed it all off. And he went out with just his tunic. He went out with his sling that he had in his belt. And he picked up some stones. And he went out. And of course, the arrogant, overzealous, giant Goliath of the line of Og. Og was the king whose bed was, was it 15 feet long and 10 feet wide. I can't remember, but it describes it in the Bible. It talks about it. it was made of iron to hold. Og was the king of the giants. This was the line that Goliath came from. Huge, giant, powerful man. And he was making fun of David's God. David didn't like that. God called on the might of the Lord and went out. And with that sling, he took a stone and he ran to meet Goliath. And Goliath in his arrogance, ha ha, was laughing at him and still spewing, berating, degrading God. And then pop right above the nose. In between the brow line, that stone that was flying with the guidance of the hand of God struck the Philistine hero, the giant who they incorporated to fight for them, was struck and fell. David ran and took his own sword and cut his head off. And this was taken back and this was placed on that mound outside the city of Jerusalem, place of the skull, Golgotha. Where Jesus ultimately was crucified, and that head was put out there because the Jewish elders said that it was unclean and couldn't be within the city walls of Jerusalem because then the city would be unclean. And this is they had some weird ideas. Let me tell you, for for elders of the temple and the church, and this is what Jesus tried to tell them: you have some strange ideas. You claim to know the scripture, but you don't know me, so you don't know truth. And he said, you practice. The language of your father because you do not follow God you follow the devil oh they didn't like that but anyway I'm going around through that to help you get a little bit of a grasp on David David had a lot of things on his mind he had things going on a lot of things on his mind he was a king but he was also a troubled king because so much stuff got into his brain and this is Saul got so much wrapped up in his stuff, he almost missed his anointing to be king. Oh yeah, where did they find him? They found him down in his trophy room with all his stuff. David gets caught up in his stuff. But here's the import. David always, always, always came back to where he was supposed to be, with God. Yeah, David wasn't perfect. None of us are perfect. God doesn't care about perfection. He wants us for our scars, our bruises. And when we trip and fall, he wants to pick us up and carry us on. And I'm going to share with you in Psalm 62, God, uh, David's got this little thing now. Here's the thing. David is given this knowledge from God. I'm actually going to read from the first verse through the rest of this. I was only going to read it, but this is all very important. This is very important because it's what I'm talking about. Psalm 62, truly my soul waiteth upon God. From him cometh my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. How long will ye imagine mischief against a man? Ye shall be slain, all of you, as a bowing wall shall ye be, and as a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his excellency. <clears throat> they delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. This is double speak. This is what people do around you constantly. They'll say something to your face, then behind your back, it's the rumor mill and gossip mongering. Sadly, that takes place within the body of a church. This is why people get, and this was described by Paul in his letter. There were two, it happened to be women who were both great at working in the church, but then they got this little contention between the two of them and they started getting these factions together one faction sided with the one and the other sided with the other one. And they were going back and forth at one another. And Paul admonished them. And he said, hey, knock it off. Be of a like mind. One body, one mind, one spirit, one truth. That's all there is to it. Period. Don't get drawn into the gossip mongering, the rumor mill, and as I shared earlier, these where these individuals want to be, don't allow their problem to become your problem. And by getting confrontational and, and being argumentative, that's exactly what it becomes. I had one who was trying to make it that way. I just walked away. And my admonishment was that, oh, you're being this and you're being, I just looked and said, and how is that so? I'm walking away and I'm leaving and we're done and just walked away. I wasn't angry about it. wasn't saying it in a mean, loud voice. Nothing I was doing was being confrontational. However, they tried to turn it that way. But that was not them personally. That was the white noise interference that comes from only one place. And I've shared this with you, and I'll share it again. The devil loves to work within the body and loves to be causing mischief in the house of the Lord. He does that he takes great delight in it and it's not like hopocarwood where the vampires can't cross they can cross and the demons will enter and they will stir up as much muck and mischief as they can but back to david in god is my salvation and my glory yes my soul wait thou only upon God for my expectation is from him. So David telling his heart to just relax calming himself down. And, but he's writing this outwardly so that we can learn from this. Don't be troubled. Don't be stirred up. God is with us. God is with me and getting his heart to calm down, which many people need to practice doing this. He only is my rock and my salvation and he is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times. Ye people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Sila. That's just a pository exclamation that they make when they're writing or doing poetry and things like that. That's just basically just saying rest. Rest and continuing in verse 9, Surely men of low degree are vanity, and men of high degree are a lie. To be laid in the balance, they are altogether lighter than vanity. Trust not in oppression and become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. God hath spoken once, Twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. Also unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy, for thou renderest to every man according to his work. David's talking about you have those that may not have as much so they became they become vainfully drawn toward these that others have. And this is what we, you have to understand greatly. I shared this Analogy with a photograph. What what happens when you look at a group photo? You look to see where they're looking. I know that I do this, and I know that others do it. But you look to you look at the faces. You look to see where they're looking. Are they looking at the camera? And you notice certain things. And as I was poking fun at the at the ladies, I said, "Don't be offended by that and get your knickers in a twist over it because it's just a joke." But women look at the clothing that the others are wearing. They do. They do that. Women are fashionable. Guys, they put on a T-shirt, they put on jeans, they put on a casual shirt or whatever. I mean, I find myself doing that. I don't get dressed up anymore. I don't have anybody to go with me to dress up for, which is mostly what that was about, to make a nice showing for the person that I was with. But we are drawn to that. And here's the important thing that you need to remember. God doesn't care, there's a specific scripture God is a respecter of no man. What does that mean? God doesn't care what you have. God doesn't care what you have not. He doesn't care what you smell like. He doesn't care what you look like. What God cares about, and just like we are drawn to the facial expressions on the people, where their eyes are, are they all looking at the camera, or are they looking away from the camera, or something that our eyes are drawn to, we're drawn to the physicality. God's not drawn to that. God's vision is to the character of the heart. He doesn't care that this person has a scar or two. He doesn't care if that person doesn't have a nice shirt as the other person. He doesn't care if this person's in a three-piece suit for the photo gathering. He doesn't care. It's a photo op. God doesn't care about that. He wants the character of the heart to be righteous so that he can share with them. That person in the three-feet suit might have a terrible heart. A terrible person in reality, but for a photo opportunity, which many people do. They do this on this little gizmo called the smartphone. I think the phones are kind of stupid, really, only good as a programmer. But you have these people that get on there, and they're taking selfie pictures with all these ritzy, fancy cars in all these locations, and then they portray themselves as having ownership of, but they don't really they're hiding behind that wall and mass of anonymity which tends to make people very brave. They say brazen things that they would not normally say to someone. These individuals that get on this device, they're called trolls. They're called trolls for a reason. Are you are you familiar with trolls here, I'm going to share this with you. They live in dark, dank, nasty, usually really bad smelling places. They they live in places that normally wouldn't be occupied with people because they're trolls. So you have these, pardon me, you have these individuals that climb up out of these dark, dank places, and they hide behind that wall of anonymity on these things that are supposedly, they called social media right, that's an oxymoron, because they're actually driving derision and separation, non-interpersonal relationships, that they keep individuals drawn into this mechanization. Not having and sharing interpersonal relationships, but separated by this little gizmo. I see people go into stores and they've got their earbuds on and all this stuff. They're not even talking to the clerks. They don't come up and say, hey, how's your day? I hope you're having a good day or anything like that. And they're just busy. They're doing their transaction. And they, there's no interpersonal relationship whatsoever. But that's pathetic. They've got this personal relationship going on with this little electronic device. But anyway, the trolls come up. They come up and they start spewing the stuff. They're tick tocking away or whatever they're doing, whatever the platform is that they're using. And they have these negative comments. So what they're doing is they're not even, they're not even speaking truth or partial truth. And then what they do is they get individuals agitated. And then the individual that they start throwing this stuff out to, they respond. And then they get into this uh, clicking agitation back and forth and texting. And they're arguing. And the troll is loving this because that's just what they wanted to do. They wanted to get a person. They wanted a rise from someone, and they got one. It's pretty silly. But remember this, that they speak vanity. They speak lies. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to vaunt themselves to be higher than what they really are. Trust not in oppression, and become not vain in robbery. You don't have to take something from anyone else. You don't have to be envious of someone else. You don't have to be envious of what they don't even really have. It's not theirs anyway. It doesn't, it doesn't belong to them. They they might have something. And there are those that are in situations that appear to be really good. It's all a facade. The truth and reality is that God is provider. I've shared with you a number of times. I'll keep repeating it. I get what I need. God allows me to have some wants. He's my good father. He sees this and, and he allows this to come into my life. Because I think just like a good father, he sees it as pleasing. So he allows it. It's not any big vaunted thing. I don't go out and I don't have a fishing boat, I don't have, I have one mode of transportation, one mode of transportation that I have had for years. And that's it. God wraps his arms around me on cold days and keeps me warm and we ride together. Rainy days I don't like so much, I'm getting older and it creeps out, but you know what, he keeps me warm and situations where we go and he keeps me dry. And even on the days where it's not and I get kind of wet and I get to where I'm going and I dry out quickly. I mean, God's good. God is really good. God rode with me cross country. He likes to ride. But just remember this thing that David is speaking in his poem, trust in the Lord, because that's where our trust needs to be. Not in the vanity of man Not in their vaunting glory, which they will do. They will vaunt themselves. And it's all in self-proclaimed. And I remind you again that you do not need, you do not require, and you may not even want, but there are some sadly that do. They want validation of mammon. They care nothing about the validation from God. This is why they sit back in their easy chair of the self-proclaimed Christian or the the SpongeBob Christian or the secular Christian, they'll go as a matter of recognition, but in doing the father's business, they won't share. They just go and then they go back to the easy chair, throw the lever and they roll the stone back across until it's, they get called out again to go to church for whatever their spouse, for some special program for the children's sake. This is not for the children's sake. This is for your soul. This is for doing what God calls us to do. We're called to share and be about our Father's business. This is not for appearance. This is not for vainglory. This is about the truth, the knowledge, and the wisdom of God Almighty, the good news of Jesus Christ. And this is what we're called to do. In the book of John, John shares some great stuff, but here's a great one. It's in John 8. Pardon me while I'm getting to that particular page. But in John 8, we find things that are said. That Jesus, oh, here's, here's a great one. The Holy Spirit just stopped me here. I was getting ready to go down here, but he stopped me here. Then Jesus said again unto them, I go my way and ye shall seek me and shall die in your sins. Whether I go, ye cannot come. What he's explaining is that they're seeking their own. They're not seeking the truth. They're going after themselves. You'll die in your sins because you haven't been looking for him. You're seeking self, self self-glory, vanity. And as you remember, this is getting in the... the, uh, he's telling, he's explaining to them that of uh, the divine control that's there and that he came to do certain things and he's gone. And this is one of the admonishments that he gave to the Sanhedrin when they come. That, And they didn't understand it. And Jesus was talking to them and he said, uh, Jesus was in the treasury of the temple and he taught in the temple and no man laid hands on him for his hour had not come was not yet come. So this is what Jesus said when they came into the garden and they grabbed him and had all these gangsters around, you know, a bunch of thugs. You had the the Herodians, you had Romans, you had the the palace or the uh, temple guards. And all these guys had spears and swords and shields. They all came in the garden when Jesus was out there by himself. And they came as a crowd and they came and they all thugged on him. Seriously? And God admon- and the Lord admonished him then. He said, really? You come like this and the opportunities that you had all the time. And this is what Jesus told him. He said, no man, it said that he came and he was teaching in the temple and no man laid hands on him for his hour has not come, yet come. That was just one instance. But Jesus also shared that with him. He said, the many times that I was teaching in the temple, you had the opportunity but you never put your hands on me then. And actually there were some instances where they were afraid of the people. What a bunch of cowards actually to come up and if they were so righteous in their truth, they could, they would be upright and bold, but they weren't righteous, they were cowards. They wanted to make him look bad, but they weren't able to do that because Jesus' authority was present and they couldn't stand to that. And they were afraid of all the people because the people were listening to what Jesus had to say. They feared the people's reactions. But here the cowards came and they had three different armed groups. Three! They had a trilogy. They had the Romans, the Herodians, and the temple guards. And they came and they all gathered around Jesus. They were. It's like a... <laughs> It's like an overload of security. They all wanted to put their hands on him then, but they didn't want to put their hands on him in the temple with the people. So further. And then they asked him. Then they say unto him, Who art thou? And Jesus saith unto them, Even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true. And I speak to the world, those things which I have heard of him. They understood not that he spake to them of the father. This is the thing. Jesus spoke plainly to them. Supposedly these theological wizards who knew the word and studied the word and they could say what was written, but they didn't understand the content. There are many that are in the world today that do that very same thing. They understand the the written word. They do that thing and they blab that out. But they can't tell you anything because they don't understand it. They don't understand the content of that language. Just like that pervert up on the stage. He didn't understand the content of John 3.16 because he was taking it out of context. He didn't understand the contextual reading. He didn't get it. Instead, he tried to convince others and had them convince that we're teaching the Bible wrong because God's condemning people. God does not condemn. Romans 8, therefore there is now no condemnation for they that follow the Lord. There is no condemnation. God does not condemn. Condemnation comes from self and from the devil. If you choose not to believe, then you are condemned. That's where the condemnation comes. God doesn't condemn anyone. And they didn't understand. They understood not that he spake to them of the Father. (sighs) Continually. Continuing in verse 28. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, Then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. And as he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed." He's not just speaking to the 12, he's speaking to me. I'm standing right there listening to him. And if you are not self-proclaimed Christians, but are Christians and you actually believe and Jesus Christ is the only begotten son of God, you believe and have faith in God and you have the Holy Spirit to guide your steps, then ye are also disciples and we need to be about our father's business. Jesus is saying so right here. If ye continue in my word, and then ye are my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And in verse 36, which is where I was headed, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. And this is about that uh, conflict of interest and those things in the book of Proverbs. I share this with you in 1921. It talks about all this confusion and controversy that goes on in our own minds. And we play, pay homage to this because we do it ourselves. Remember, I told you that God gave us the ability to, <coughs> pardon me, to pre-plan and it gets us in trouble. And he that followeth after righteousness and mercy findeth life, righteousness, and honor. So, we have a lot of plans. And when we get all those agitated and we've got all those things going on over here, Proverbs tall is telling us, that we follow righteousness. But in 19 and 21, there are many devices in a man's heart. And nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. So all these things that are filtering in your mind, all these things that are just bubbling over and just wandering around in there and, and kicking stuff around and causes controversy and confusion. And you're not sure. the lord's there to guide. And then in this final here the thing of it is important and, and a lot of people get all jacked up about this. I don't understand this. I don't mind being a sheep. I don't mind being having that analogy made. Sheep are kind of cool. Really? They they're a funny critter as we are. We're funny creatures. But the thing of it is that sheep are. I shared about those um, shepherds that were out in the field, and they would go into this uh, paddock, and they would call out the sheep, and they recognized each one of their shepherds, and they followed that one's voice. They didn't get there was never any confusion or mix-up, never confusion. They followed their shepherd, their shepherd only. Didn't have one later down the road, have to get in touch with the other one and say, hey, I got a couple of your sheep. That never happened. Never happened. And Jesus shares with us that my sheep hear my voice, they know my voice, and I know my sheep. I don't mind that. There's a lot of people that get jacked up by being compared to sheep. Come on, get over it. Get over yourself. You're a sheep. Lean in, listen, listen, have a blessed day. you in my prayers, my going out, and my coming in. Always.